Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. And today we have a very exciting episode. It is a guest we have had on the show before, although last time uh, he was working in a very different industry. Um, So we're excited to have him on again today and to chat a bit about some of the um, new things that he's working on. Elliot, welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me back. It's uh, great to be back in a very different context. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So for folks who are listening, tell them a little bit about who you are, what it is, you know, you did a little bit, just that quick, you know, fly over your, your earlier part of your career and then um, what it is you're diving into now, because I know you're trying to start something new. So I started MongoDB back in 2007 mm-hmm. and was the CTO there for 13 years. And, you know, at the end of the day, the most interesting part of MongoDB was it was born out of a shared frustration of work, building applications using databases was too hard. Right. And we wanted to make it a lot easier. And over 13 years, I think, I think we did that <laughs> and uh, I'm still using MongoDB today. Right. Uh, and so in uh, 2020, I left MongoDB, took a little time off and then was doing something a little different. And then I was looking at the world and sort of trying to see, okay, I want to solve some interesting problems. Right. Um, wanted to look at some really big problems out there and everything from you know, I'm a big uh, ocean person, you know, anything cleaning, you know, cleaning oceans to climate change mm. to smaller problems. Like I really don't like potholes in New York city, like running <laughs> bikes or scooters in New York potholes okay. are frustrating. So you're running for mayor. I got it. Uh, that would not be fun. <laughs> so I was looking at all these problems and one common theme was that they're all expensive. They're mm. all hard to do. There isn't enough people to actually get all these things done. Right. If you want to go right. clean up all the garbage in the ocean, like, you're not going to get people to do that. Even things like managing forests better, like it's hard to get people to go do that. Yeah. And so sort of the obvious solution was there should be more robots. Mm. Right. And if you're anything like me, you've sort of been seeing robots on stages at keynotes and conferences for 20 years. And there's always this any day now, they're going to be robots doing useful things. And there are some things out there. There's definitely more and more automation. There's more robotics, more things. But if you're in New York like me and you walk around the streets of New York, you're not seeing any robots. No, not even those fun little delivery ones. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, so maybe in some places you're starting to see those. In your house, maybe you've got a Roomba, but it's, it's nascent, right? There's very right. few actual things out there. Yeah. So if you're someone like me, you do what I would do and be like, great, I'm going to go buy a high-end robotic arm, put it in my living room and try to make it play chess against me. And see what happens. <laughs> what happened? Uh, which is what I did. Yeah. And I consider myself a, a pretty good developer. And it was one of the most frustrating experiences I've had as a software developer. Just the amount of effort and work it, you know, to make this thing do something as simple as play chess, which isn't all that hard, was kind of shocking. And so then I started working with a couple of people and we sort of dove into this problem of, you know, why aren't there more robots doing useful things? Why right. is the software in the robotic space hard to use? You know, what's going on? 
And then if you take a step back and think about it more, I obviously know and work with a lot of software engineers. And when I've asked them casually, have you thought about robotics? Would you ever start a robotic startup company? It's very definitively no. You get answers like, yeah, I played with Arduino in college or I played with Lego Mindstorms in high school. Right. Um, you get a lot of people who are into the, uh, you know, yeah, like hardware seems cool, but it seems scary. Yeah, hardware is hard. I mean, you know, for background, I was the drone beat reporter at The Verge for a long time and started covering, you know, a number of other, you know, robotic ventures because I was learning a bit about that world. A lot of companies that, you know, tried had difficulty, yeah, not just in, you know, creating it, as you said, and getting it to perform as it wanted, but then supply chain issues and manufacturing and competing, in my case, against, you know, Chinese companies like DJI that had all that stuff right in their backyard. So when you're, yeah, I think in the United States, at least, and you're talking about creating a software company, it's a level playing field. You can go from zero to one pretty fast. And, you know, um, you might even have an advantage given that all the engineering, software engineering, the talent here, but hardware creating things at scale, I think is where a lot of people run into, don't want to face that challenge on the hardware side. Yeah. But I think it's even deeper than that, which is the amount of effort required to get hardware is one thing, but the amount of effort to take that hardware and actually make it do useful things at scale is even harder. Right, so what I will say is the price of hardware, the ability to get hardware and things has come down quite a bit and is much easier now than it was 20 years ago. The other thing that's really interesting that's happened is as computers have gotten faster, right? The amount of computing power you can get for under $100 in a Raspberry Pi right now is enormous. Right. So part of the challenge in the hardware space and making hardware is that, you know, is one thing is, is this notion that there's a lot of custom circuit boards you need to do and a lot of custom things. And I think that a lot of that stems from lack of great software in the hardware space. Mm. I think there's yeah. a lot of mythology around what it's what is required to build hardware. Right. And if you look at things like 3D printing and all the things we're able to produce locally quickly now, what, you know, again, the computing power in a Raspberry Pi, the ability to do, you know, things like that, like you can 3D print and laser cut things and we can do it in our office and right. build things remarkably quickly, maybe slightly more expensively, but then you have to completely change the paradigm of how you think about taking that hardware and bringing it to life. I recently got a 3D printer. One of my um, children is really into the world of mini figurines these days. Uh, and I figured I could save a lot of money uh, printing them at home and also repair all the ones that get broken when he steps on them and stuff like that. Just print them again. One of the things that kind of blew my mind there was the um, open source software in the space, in this case, um, Prusa Slicer, which is you know maintained by a big community. And over the years, as you point out, through software has taken out a lot of the work that used to be manual of you know leveling the bed and deciding where the supports go and all this stuff that used to be, as you pointed out, tricky physical engineering now can be solved uh, more often than not through software, which was kind of cool. And, and I think that actually is a, a perfect segue into sort of a bigger point, which is that software has this amazing ability to smooth rough edges and hardware and do all these things. Right. right? I think that's a great example where uh, filling in supports, right? The hardware didn't change, right? You don't need different 3D printers to enable that, but you do need a large community of software people and good software engineers to make right. those things happen. 
and right now, you know, um, take robot vacuum cleaners. Yeah. I would say I have know a lot of people who think the actual vacuum cleaner portion of it is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and the software portion of it leaves a lot to be desired. Right. And if you, you know, if you ask a regular software engineers, if they had really good APIs to control the vacuum portion of it and drive it around, would more people play with it? Mm-hmm. Would there be more innovation around how you do this? And I, I think pretty clearly the answer is yes. Auth0 by Okta is the leading customer identity authentication provider. Straight out of the box and into your app with support for social logins, passwordless, single sign-on, and a whole lot more. So you can worry about everything else on your to-do list. Visit developer.auth0.com stack and let them know the podcast sent you. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think, again, getting back to that sort of like where hardware and software meet and where they can solve problems. One of the things I loved at DJI I was watching obstacle avoidance evolve over the years. So the DJI drones, when I got to know them in 2013, were blind. You know, you were piloting them. They could return to home, but if something was in the way, the drone would not see it and it would just go right into it. And over the years, you know, they've gotten to the point where the drone can follow you through a forest and, you know, dodge trees and branches and all that kind of stuff. And that's happening through, you know, ultra fast computation on device, you know, seeing what's out there in the world and figuring out the best path to take. And for some of the robot vacuums, I'm not, I actually used to do a bunch of robot vacuum reviews, but they're learning more and more, oh, this is a carpet. I shouldn't go over this. Or, you know, this is where I got stuck before. I'm not going to take this path again. Um, And so, you know, some of the things that are obstacles in the physical world are starting, as you pointed out, to be solved by hardware. Interesting to, to think about it more, as you said, like, are there APIs and are there ways to enable other developers to do that? I don't know. You know, robot vacuums are a good example. Like, I bet there are engineers and software developers like yourself who would love to improve them once they got them at home. I bet most of them are pretty locked down and not really something you can, you know, tweak and upgrade on your own, right? Correct. And so if you take, if you take a step back and think about what we're looking to do and what we're building is a, is a new way to think about hardware and software working together in the robotic space and a new software paradigm for robotics. Mm. Yeah, let, let, let me hear it. Now we're here. What's your pitch? So at the end of the day, what VM really is doing is a bunch of things, right? It's a complete, it's first of all, it's a software platform. Mm-hmm. We work with any hardware. So it's, you know, bring your own hardware. We support a ton of different hardware out of the box, but any new hardware you want to, you know, motors, arms, vacuum cleaners, drones, doesn't matter. Right. Right. Uh, it all, you, can, you can make it all work. And it's a new software layer that can go down as low as you want to things like controlling motors, doing RPM control, controlling arms, moving arms around, all the way up through uh, how you connect to the cloud, how you get cloud connectivity, how you do data management, how you deploy robotics at scale and think about versioning, right. how you can you know handle data from robot, robots going into the cloud, using it to build new machine learning models, pushing them back down to robots, um, all with, you know, very clean developer APIs, mm. all with sort of very, you know, very easy to get started with. And a lot of it's based on this idea of bridging the hardware and software world together. Yeah. I, you know, I think one of the things that I've heard on this podcast over the last few years is I've been sort of growing more into someone who's focused on the world of software and development um, is that there are a lot of successful companies that are built these days API first. And so, you know, people talk about Stripe as a great example 
or Twilio. Um, and then, you know, now folks will often say as they're pitching their company, you know, we want to be the Stripe, but we want to be that for single sign-on or, you know, security or something like that. You know, a company that thinks about what software developers need comes out of the gate with a bunch of great APIs, iterates them on as they go along, and that way becomes, you know, a great tool for lots of folks to build. So it sounds like maybe that's some of that is built into the approach you're taking here. There's definitely part of that. You know, if you think about the process of building a new robot, right? Yeah. It starts with you obviously have to have some hardware, right? You've got to get some things, some motors, what have you. So right. the first thing we're doing differently is we make it really easy for someone who is a more of a hardware person, mechanical engineer, electrical engineer, to go and configure their hardware in a very easy to use interface. In that interface, you get two things right away. Yeah. One is the ability to start testing that hardware, like just with simple UI things where you can go move a motor and move an arm. You get immediately like a, you know, Blockly-like drag and drop interface to write some very simple code. But at the exact same time, you also now get APIs for software developers to use, to use all that same hardware with higher level features added from any language that you want. Mm. So before you would have a hardware person would put something together, they might hack together some control scripts you know, on an Arduino, and then kind of the software engineers would get it, and kind of have to start over. Now you don't, right? They just connect it to a computer, they connect the motors, connect the sensors, connect a the camera. They can start, they can test all the hardware, make sure things are working. In parallel, a software engineer can take that exact configuration, start writing code, mm. write it whatever language they want, and just get going. Interesting. So on that supply side, you know, you mentioned, yeah, like we want to make it simple to figure out what components to work with. And then, you know, from there layer up to how to put them together and how to, you know, create the software that makes it run. Do you give like a suggested set of components? Do you make your own? Do you have partners? Like when people go out to buy the things that they need, you know, where do they start? We have hardware that we recommend that we like, or we know works well, but we also know there's a lot of hardware. And I think one of the things that we care a lot about is that let's say there's a motor control you're using. And then for whatever reason, you can't buy it anymore. Right. You shouldn't, it shouldn't be so stressful and you should be able to get a new one and not have to change your code, right? Maybe you change the configuration for a different version of the product because you can't buy a thousand of this certain motor controller anymore. But the code shouldn't have to change. Right. If you want to try, go from one robot arm to another robot arm. Again, the code for controlling that, the code for your application shouldn't change. Gotcha. Uh, just the driver. Yeah. And so while we do sort of have like, hey, look, we know this hardware works. This kit is a nice kit to get started with. Yeah. We strive to be as hardware agnostic as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of great hardware out there of all sorts of kinds of hardware, and we're happy to work with all of it. And so uh, for folks who are listening, are there certain languages or frameworks um, that if they're familiar with, this would be easier for them? You know, like when they come to this, what kind of, um, you know, yeah, code are they going to be writing? So one of the core beliefs we have is that we want to be as flexible as possible. So uh, everything we do is based on gRPC, which means that you can use any language that you want. So, you know, the languages that we use a lot and sort of most of our examples are going to be in right now are Python, C++, Go, TypeScript. Mm -hmm. But it's all basically any language you want is fine. Yeah. In terms of frameworks, another thing that we think a lot about is trying to have a very low overhead of things you have to learn to get started. Right. Um, and also things that are sort of normal in the software engineering world, we're really trying not to reinvent for the robotics world. If you want to do machine learning, you can use TensorFlow. If you want to, you know, the make files, the tools, they're all going to be the same tools you're using. 
Right. There's nothing, you know, you want to build a web application for your robot, like use whatever web tool you want and you can just communicate directly with the robot mm -hmm. using sort of our tools. So we're really trying to sort of be anti, hey, here's this framework you have to use. No, all robot applications need to be written with this tool. If you think about the, the software world, it's very clear that sort of APIs, services, make it easier for developers to build faster, to iterate faster, for teams to scale. Right. And we're trying to bring a lot of those ideas down to the robotics world and only changing the things that have to change for the robotics world. Gotcha. This is a new company. What what's your role there, and and how many folks do you have working with you at the, the at this time? Yeah, so I'm so I'm running things right now as CEO, and we have about sixty five people right now. Um, as you can imagine, most of them are engineers. Mm -hmm. You know, the the most interesting thing about the robotics space and this robotics project is because we're trying to really make it easy for people to build robots, right? Right. We really, you know, one of the things we've talked about a lot internally is we want, you know, three smart 25 year olds to be just as willing to go start a robotics startup as mm -hmm. a social media web startup, right. right? It shouldn't be so daunting. Mm. And so what does that mean? It means we need to have a lot of tools to make it easier, right? Everything from, you know, three people as a startup, you know, maybe there's maybe one hardware person, one software person, we've got to make it easy for them to, to communicate. We've got to make it easy for them to write software and iterate on software quickly. It's got to make it easy for them to, you know, deploy, scale their applications, and then keep adding features and keep adding people to their team. So there's a lot of pieces. I guess, are you and I talking about this before it's launched? Or are, do you have examples of like users and beta testers that you'd like to discuss? We're now in public beta as of October 11th. Gotcha. Uh, in public beta, we've been working with customers for about the last eight months. Gotcha. Um, in a pretty wide variety of use cases. Mm -hmm. um, everything from uh, inspection and search and rescue to things, you know, in the agriculture space uh, to things in commercial kitchens. Nice. And so, uh, yeah, you, you've had, uh, as it sounds like, um, folks coming in from a lot of different areas. It's interesting. Again, like, yeah, when I was working at DJI, we saw people starting to take the drones and modify them, as you pointed out, for search and rescue. And then we would come up with a new tool that sort of was built in that, you know, helped it do that, but with less battery life and, you know, like more integrated, same thing, um, across, you know, agriculture, like first people were just doing that ad hoc and then, you know, they were building drones that had sprayers on them. So like they kind of followed the market. Um, and it sounds like what you're trying to do is create a platform so that for all these areas where robotics, you know, have robust applications, people can do it themselves. If folks want to check it out and get involved, what are their options? Like, do you have different tiers for, you know, a student or a hobbyist who's curious versus someone who knows like, Hey, you know, I'm a farmer or, you know, someone doing land management. I know I want this kind of robot, but I always felt too intimidated to build it. Like what are the entry points, I guess, for folks to check you out and, and try using your stuff? Yep. So taking a step back for a moment, just, and we'll, we'll come back to that. Another core belief we have is that there is a lot of things to build in this space. And so we believe that open source plays is going to play a huge portion in robotics. So everything that lives on robot. Right that VM produces is open source. Hmm. So all the drivers for, you know, all the sort of the core robotics bits that live on the robot, all the drivers for interacting with different hardware, uh, all the SDKs, all open source, all, you know, we're working with the community on it. We want to work with the community on it, um, so on and so forth. Hmm. On the cloud side, the cloud services, those are going to be very simple usage-based 
services, mm-hmm. right? No big upfront contracts. No, like, yeah, we'll happy to work with you. Just a hundred thousand dollars upfront, please. Uh, right. None of that. Right. Free tiers get started. If you, you've got a small robot doing something small, you're going to have a, a very small bill. Gotcha. So very much designed for, you know, your hobbyist, your early software engineer, your tinkerer to get started. No big costs. You know, they just come right. in and they just start building stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. And I think even the the bigger agriculture people and all those bigger, you know, the sort of more industrial applications. Mm-hmm. What I've learned in the software space is most of those start with a software engineer working with someone in the space or a someone from industry. You know, we're working with a company where it's someone who was a, a general contractor who started working with a software engineer friend to design a right. robot to help in construction. And I think that's going to be a lot of what we see is someone who really understands an industry, whether it's construction or agriculture or health tech, right. working with some of their software engineering friends to bring a new robotic idea to life. And in those cases, you know, they can get started for free with VM. We will offer and, you know, have things like consulting packages. And we, you know, we very much want to help people build robots. Right. right. And we also are keenly aware that this space is very early. Yeah. Right. There is... A lot of questions about how do you get a you know, new piece of hardware, a new robot into production? How do you get right. it working correctly? How do you scale it? What are the right business models? These are all yeah. sort of a lot of unknowns in this space. And we want to help with all of those. That's very cool. Well, I have to say, I love this idea. I, you know, just in my gut feel like it's not going to work. So I'm glad that you're going after it because I think that means it's exciting. And, you know, if it does work, um, it could be really impactful. I uh, am trying to remember the right name, but Chris Anderson, who used to be the C- the editor-in-chief at Wired, went on to create like an online community. I think it was called DIY Drones. And it was a similar thing where they tried to make everything open source and folks were all building together and they were all sort of learning from each other. And over time, they developed software that became, you know, in some in some places, industry standard. You know, you could you could download their sort of autopilot software, and then if you were building a machine, all of a sudden it was much easier because you didn't you didn't have to start from scratch. So it would be very cool to see that applied not just to this specific you know category drones, but you know more broadly to robotics. Um, so yeah, I think we'll have to check back in in a year and see how you're doing because um, it's would certainly be cool as you pointed out to walk around the streets and see more robots in action. Everybody likes. Well, not everybody. Some people are scared of that, but yeah. I mean, who wouldn't want robots, you know, wandering around, you know, collecting trash or filling right. potholes? Filling potholes, right? Okay, the benevolent robot custodians. I hope we see them in the near future. Well, Elliot, uh, thanks again for coming on the show. I'm uh, happy to talk to you again. You always have big ideas, and I'm glad that you're working on something new and exciting. So I'm I'm eager to see how it turns out. Great. All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. I want to shout out the winner of an inquisitive badge, somebody who came on Stack Overflow and asked a well-received question on 30 separate days. So congrats to Nita for being so curious, for sharing that with our community and for helping folks to spread some knowledge to everyone. I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us with questions or suggestions, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. Uh, I'm Elliot Horowitz, and uh, if you want to check out VM, just go to vm.com and start building a robot today. Very cool. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon.